Tonight on Let It Rip, two deadly shootings at two Detroit gas stations reignite tensions between the black and Middle Eastern communities. Two clerks facing charges for their roles in the violence. We're diving into what can be done to help with the divide. But first, more history for all the wrong reasons for former President Trump as he makes his first appearance in federal court accused of mishandling classified documents. But like the New York case, people are once again asking, are the charges a Trump card or just trumped up? The debate starts now. Tonight on Let It Rip. Two deadly shootings at two Detroit gas stations reignite tensions between the black and Middle Eastern communities. Two clerks facing charges for their roles in the violence. We're diving into what can be done to help with the divide. But first... I'm an innocent man. I'm an innocent person. More history for all the wrong reasons for former President Trump as he makes his first appearance in federal court accused of mishandling classified documents. But like the New York case, people are once again asking, are the charges a Trump card? or just trumped up. The debate starts now. Time now to let it rip with former U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District, Matthew Schneider, who served under former President Trump. Zionist Organization of America board member and conservative commentator Aaron Tobin joins us, and Democratic strategist Greg Bowens. We thank all of you for joining us today. Let's show the people at home. I know it's been a long week uh, of talking about this, but to really unpack this, let's look at what this indictment really contains. These are the accusations. They basically say, look, this former president improperly stored classified documents. He then showed top secret documents to people without clearance according to the affidavit and then investigators say he refused to return documents when demanded and then they say that he suggested attorneys hide or destroy documents let's begin with really the, the guy who knows more about this than anybody else in our in our room right now the former US attorney Matthew Schneider which one of those is the most damning uh, in this affidavit well, they're all damning because they're all felonies and they could potentially expose the president to years in prison. The question is not really that. The question is which are easier to prove. Now, that depends on the facts and the evidence in this case. Really comes out to two buckets. First bucket is willfully withholding national defense documents, taking those documents and, and not giving them back. Second bucket is obstructive conduct. It's kind of a cover-up. Lying about this, asking people to lie on your behalf. All of this is very serious, and it depends on what the witnesses are going to say to see which of these groups or buckets will be able to be held up more in court. All right, Aaron Tobin, uh, you support the former president, but we should point out that in that affidavit, they point out that there were three dates, right? About a year after he was in office, after he left office in January, they said, hey, we can cough up these boxes, let's see these documents, and he gave up 15 boxes. They come back in June and said, we don't think you've given us everything, please give us what's remaining, and, and there were 38 more that came out. And they determined that that simply wasn't the totality of the boxes that were sitting inside of that Mar-a-Lago home. And so in August, the FBI raids his home and they seized 102 boxes. Do you think that Biden, when he was told, hey, you got boxes, he gave them up, Pence, he gave them up. If Trump just gave these boxes up at the beginning, we wouldn't be sitting here today talking about this? So you just mentioned two occasions that they asked for boxes, and he gave them boxes. So obviously he was working with the federal government to give back the information they requested. When he left the White House, he obviously took boxes and boxes of his personal information. He was still president. When he landed at Mar-a-Lago, Mar he was still president. Those were his presidential papers. They wanted to see if there was anything of higher or, uh, top secret. And 
He was working with them. He was giving them back. You saw But you say locations. he was working with them, but at the same time, after the third attempt to get them and after you raid, you find 102 more boxes. That's not giving up the classified documents. If I ask you to give up classified documents and you only give me a dozen and a half and then another time you give me 20-some, shouldn't he have just given up all of them at the same time? So as the president of the United States, uh, most legal experts will say that he had the ability of to declassify documents and in his opinion and uh, uh, many legal opinions those documents were already declassified well, we have, you know, in the affidavit, quotes of him talking to a potential publisher, and Greg Bowens, you can chime in on this, too, and he's talking to this potential publisher of a book saying, hey, look, this is secret, this is secret information, look at this, uh, talking about an attack of a country, going on to say, I was thinking, because we were talking about it, and you know, he said he wanted to attack country A. The president goes on to say, see, as president, I could have declassified it. Everyone laughed in the room. And then Trump went on to say, now I can't, you know, but this is still secret. Isn't that interesting? This is stuff that is in the affidavit. Does that concern you at all, that this Don't former you president— you Donald so Trump by now talks with bluster, and he likes to exaggerate, and he likes to say how important he is. But so. this, is, this is using classic military documents, nuclear secrets, talking about vulnerabilities of the country. Is that something to joke and bluster about and, and be funny about? So top secret things like this, when the Democrats do it, it's okay, but when the Republicans but do it, it's not Greg okay. Greg Bowens, for a moment, I want you to chime in about that, because that is the number one argument you hear from many conservatives, saying, look, you have the whole Burisma thing that's still it's still up in the air. Uh, you have, uh, you know, tax evasion charges for Hunter Biden still up in the air from 2018. And you have Hillary Clinton and those emails. And so that's what the argument is back. Do you think there's a double standard here? I think that it is an attempt to try and distract from what's on the table right now. And what's on the table right now is no president can walk out of the White House with a resolute desk and just suddenly go, it's mine, I own this, you know. Uh, and for a president that we knew was the kind of person that was famously known for not reading memos, for not reading the reports that he was getting. Why all of a sudden would some guy who doesn't even read memos want to take boxes and boxes of national security secrets as his own personal stuff? Trump is a transactional figure, a transactional person. He hires and fires people all the time. And when you think about it, and I think this is a discussion that's going to be happening in politics, will be part of the political decision as we go forward, you know, as to why. 12 people in a jury should get that far will will argue out the details of what our former U.S. attorney is talking about here. He'll get 12, but, he'll get a chance. But Greg, is there, is there a double standard when it comes to just people who argue that this man shouldn't have taken the boxes the out of the White House? The because we know that Vice President Pence took boxes out. We know then Vice President Biden took boxes out. Is, as the U.S. attorney said, that's not the, that's, not the, that, that's not the issue. The issue is, is that when he had the opportunity to give it all back, he didn't do it. One thing to be an honest mistake, I'm grabbing a bunch of stuff because I'm in a hurry to leave, and then to get noticed and to say, I'm not giving it back. So, Aaron, the question then becomes, if this was Biden and the shoe was on the other foot, and for whatever reason we were in a situation where he was leaving office, and in his home in Delaware he had defense information, weapons capabilities, nuclear plans, and he was just chatting away with a pu potential publisher, you'd be okay with that? Well, they've all done that. But would you President be okay with that if Biden did it? 
the no, same I, thing. I wouldn't be okay with that. I wouldn't be okay with anybody doing it. But I'm saying is there's a double standard. There's two levels of judgment going on here. There's the Democrats and the Republicans. The Democrats are being let out, let go. Oh, Hillary didn't mean it. Oh, President Clinton didn't mean it. Barack Obama didn't mean it. They didn't have bad intentions. All of a sudden, they know what President Trump's intentions were. But Matthew, were. You, you, you've said this over and over again in, in the press. You've said, look, here's the deal. It's not as though we're saying that what could have happened with those emails with Hillary or the boxes with Biden, that those aren't issues. They are. However, yes. the biggest glaring issue is something else that Trump did. What is that? Well, a couple things. First of all, this issue about declassification, here's why that doesn't really matter. The, the law that he's charged under has to do with possessing willfully national security documents, not classified documents. So he's possessing willfully those documents and not returning them, and that's the violation of the law. Now, if he says that I declassified, this is a legal proceeding. Let's face it, there's only two ways that that's going to get into evidence. Evidence. Number one, the president either gave an order and wrote it. Or number two, if he says he declassified, then he's going to have to take the witness stand and testify. If he does that, he opens himself up to cross-examination. The other thing, to your point, Rube, why this is different from Hillary Clinton, I'm no apologist for Hillary Clinton, believe me. But in this case, the allegation is, is that President Trump took classified material and brandished it, that he showed it to other people who didn't have security clearances. I've used classified documents hundreds of times. If I took classified material and showed it to somebody without a security clearance, I would have been fired and probably prosecuted. Can, can this lawyer come out and say what Aaron said and say, look, that's just the style of how Trump talks and that's just the way he is, everybody knows him? That doesn't hold much water in court, well, does it? He, it might hold water on the campaign trail because there is an election. It doesn't hold any water as a legal sense in the courtroom. And so, Aaron, if you believe that Hillary Clinton in part because of those emails that she had on her on that per private server top secret top emails. secret emails on that private server if that made her unfit to serve in office as secretary of state or in any other capacity does this make president trump unfit to be the president it makes hillary clinton fit to be in uh, jail but does right this now. make if the same mistake is being president made by president clinton like every trump. president trump like every american is innocent until proven guilty he will have his day in court you will have to prove intent. The Presidential Document Act, what, what, to make sure that the presidential documents got back to the Smithsonian, wherever they're stored, libraries, has zero criminal uh, bills attached to it. You can, it's not a criminal process. They had to go out of their way like scratching your head like this to charge him with treasonous acts. You're charging a former president with treasonous acts. It is outrageous. And that is something that can only be done now because the Democrats and are Greg, in the majority. And Greg, I want to talk to you. I want to get your opinion on that. But real quick, we have the expertise of Matthew here. One of the, one of the charges is espionage, carrying up to 20 years behind bars in prison. I just wonder about the espionage, because espionage, by definition, is about spying. What is, right. how, how does that qualify for Trump? So it's not really espionage. It's under the espionage Act. And in that law, it has a provision regarding willfully withholding these documents. So it's not actually espionage as it is. That's important, a, distinct, uh, a yeah. distinction there. Hey, Greg, uh, so many people are saying that if former President Trump is convicted of this, and as you say, he's innocent until proven guilty, but if that happens, then Biden should pardon Trump. Is that something you think may happen? It's, it could happen. Uh, would it happen? I don't know. I mean, we're thinking now that maybe it was a mistake for Nixon to get pardoned. 
before he faced the music or had to face the music. They were saying that, you know, because he was pardoned, it gave all the other presidents after him sort of license to think that that's what's going to happen. And, and in the American public mind, that's the big thing. Our expectations of our leaders, what do we expect? I would expect Joe Biden to be a very, I mean, he's, you know, nice guy. Would he do it? If but, it gets to that, but is, is this something that this is this has to be awful for a country to have a former president thrown in jail? That just can't be good for the country, whether you're a Democrat or Democrat or a Republican, wouldn't you or say? Charge of treason. It happens, it happens in other places. Other other democracies hold their former elected. Look what happened in Israel. You know, I mean, Netanyahu was brought up on charges. But we're supposed to be different, right? This right. is a sacred ground here, and it's a tragedy for America, no matter what way you look at it, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. It's just too bad that this is. Happening. Oh. The, th the thing that makes it a tragedy is that we've had a president, an ex president, to engage in this kind of behavior. We have not had somebody grab hundreds well, of boxes. And Greg, and Greg <laughs> as, you, as, as Aaron astutely pointed out, he is innocent until proven guilty. This, these are accusations. Yeah, and we'll accusations. have to see how that plays out. Of course, that's up to the court. We thank you I all for joining for us here today. I don't think you're called, I'm not, I don't think you're being called for this trial at all. <laughs> in, in any case, Greg Bowens, good to see you. Aaron Tobin, thank you. Thank you. Matthew Schneider, Thank thanks you. for being with us as well. Up next, two deadly shootings at two Detroit gas stations, reigniting old tensions between black and Middle Eastern Americans in some neighborhoods. So what can be done to stop what's happening right now? That debate rolls on next. Back now, a letter rip discussing the recent violence at gas stations. It's causing relations between Arab Americans and African Americans to be strained in some circles once again. Joining us now, Osama Sablani with the Arab American News and community organizer and activist Teferi Brent. It's good to see both of you. Thank you for joining us Thank today. You. This is such an important topic and one that um, I just think, you know, when you look at the landscape of what's going on right now, you had two incidents that just happened here, one in which uh, you had a, a gas station operator who locked all the doors, and because of that locking of the doors, he's now charged with involuntary manslaughter after uh, a young man was shot and killed. Then just a few days, a few weeks later, you had another incident in which, again, uh, there was a worker who locked himself in the vegetable and then was able to shot out, shoot outside. Teferi, I'll begin with you. Uh, this is unacceptable that this is happening over and over again. Yes? Oh, without question. I mean, uh, I want to make sure that we are always mindful of the victims. Uh, Derek Leon Roberts, who was murdered in cold blood on Six Mile in Southfield three or four years ago on Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. We also remember uh, Brother uh, Anthony, uh, I mean, uh, Brother Anthony uh, Joshua Lewis, right, who was also uh, murdered on Gratiot uh, in cold blood. Uh, I also want to remember Brother Herder Scott who was murdered on uh, 96 and Telegraph in cold blood. I also want to remember our recent brother, Anthony McNary, yeah. uh, who was killed, uh, of course, uh, in Southwest Detroit, right? I want to also uh, be mindful of the brother, uh, brother Gregory, right? Uh, brother Kelly, who was murdered in cold blood uh, on uh, Six Mile and James Cousin. So in, in the spirit and in, in remembrance of these uh, brothers and sisters, uh, uh, it is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do everything we possibly can to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And it's a pattern. It's been going on really since the 90s. Well, I was going to say, it's been, it's been many, many years, and we've had yeah. meetings uh, that we've seen uh, just as recently as 2018. I know Reverend Wendell Anthony sat down with uh, with uh, Mr. Beydoun and some others from the Arab American community and said, look, we got to figure this out. 
Is this getting any better, Mr. Sublani? No, it's not. And um, uh, of course, I, I sympathize with everyone that have lost their lives in, in this uh, incident. We have many Arab Americans and Chaldean Americans have been shot and killed in Detroit. Recently in Flint, there was a young guy, 23 years old, who was shot in, his, uh, in the store and was killed. So, uh, you know, we did not get the publicity that, uh, that uh, if it happened in Detroit to an African-American, which is not an excuse. Uh, you know, the lives of everyone is important in here. But having said that, I remember I was telling the Reverend in, in the Green Room that 25 years, more, more than 25 years ago, Wendell Anthony, the Reverend Wendell Anthony and myself flew to Washington to BET Channel with that, uh, Tavis Smiley mm -hmm. show. Sure. And we were there to discuss the same thing more than 25 years ago. But what is yeah. it about the, the yeah, relationship the that, that there's an issue? I feel like, excuse me for a moment, Mr. Mm -hmm. Sabani, I just feel as though uh, there's a feeling that I've spoken to many African-Americans uh, in Detroit who've said that they feel as though Arab-American ownership is kind of there to, to take advantage of the money and the sales and then go back to their neighborhoods, and then they're left with these gas stations that look like war zones. Well, it's not true. That's not true, because I can take you to some gas stations that have really done a great job in hiring African-Americans and in serving the community and giving back to the community. Now, things have improved. This is not a cultural clash in here. This is a clash between consumers and people who are selling, which is merchants. Mm -hmm. And this problem is the same thing in Flint, the same thing in Benton Harbor, but with different, with different sects of the society, you know. So with other people are the Sikhs, you know, and sure. in, in, in other areas are the Vietnamese and the Chinese. Well, yeah, there's many, uh, you know, yeah, Gujarati it, Indians who own issue, gas It is stations, an yeah. issue between merchants and customers. Now, having said that, there is no excuse for this to continue. This is a responsibility of the African-American leadership, the Arab-American leadership, and the government, too. So what needs to happen to make this better? To ferry, needs, uh, I wanted to, to ask. Happen. Well, well it's, it's a few things, right? So I would disagree with uh, Brother Assam in regards to uh, whether or not not, it's it's a cultural issue. I believe it's absolutely a cultural issue, which is the reason why we created a, 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 a training program for gas stations and for also liquor stores in the city as it pertains to uh, Arab American owners and uh, staff members and employees who, who have been privileged to serve African American patrons, right? I think there's definitely, you know, based upon just the pure data, Right? It speaks to the fact that in regards to our communities and businesses within our communities, there seems to be some challenges in how especially young uh, Lebanese, Yemeni uh, gas station owners and or staff members treat our citizens, which is why we have the training program to help prevent this. Think about it. But what are some of the things, when you say it, the way they treat, what do you mean First of all, it's not a cultural issue. this is not a cultural issue. No, but you this can't, you issue, can't this say is, that. If it's a cultural issue, I would be disagreeing with you. You in, in, in Dearborn and in, uh, in, in Southfield. This but is it's not, not, it's but not, it's not happening in Dearborn. But it's we not happening in Dearborn because we have, it's not we have, cultural. We have it is black a clash between but Mr. Sablani, we have black Mr. Sablani, we have customers. There is no doubt. The customers are saying that there there seems to be an issue when I run into people well, of these well, backgrounds. And this is the reason why it hasn't been resolved. I think we need to address this issue the way it is. It's not cultural. Half of the Arab world is in Africa.
<laughs> can be against African American when you are African, you know. So this is not the issue. The, the first issue, enslavement the issue of is, African people were Arabs. The first enslavement of African people were Arabs. Let me, let me finish. You bring someone to put them in the gas station. You have to train them how to deal with customers. They are not doing this, and that is wrong. So the gas station owners need to start training their attendants to how to deal with crisis. But how if it to was deal such a issues. priority even 25 years ago, and we're still here today, and by the way, the, the two, then perhaps the two some more training the last needs to happen, would you say? Not Lebanese, you know. So, so for I, instance, I didn't say no. Lebanese. Yeah. I said Lebanese or Yemeni. Right. No, no, and, and, hold on, hold on, hold on, brother, because you're not, you don't know. Yemenis are more African than you. What I'm saying to you is that you don't you don't know what you're talking about. So what I'm saying, hold on, hold on. Sir, sir, sir. Sir, hold on. What I'm saying to you is that the reason why we create the training program is because we've recognized that there's been a cultural gap and divide in regards to how a lot of our Middle Eastern brothers and sisters, right, treat our, our, our African-American patrons, right? So here's the reality. We have African-American uh, liquor store owners and gas station owners, right? They haven't killed anyone, right? We have a lot of white uh, uh, and, and, and Jewish and Italian and Albanian gas station owners. They haven't killed anyone, right? Now, back in the 90s, we did have some issues with our Chaldean brothers and sisters and liquor stores. It's felt like almost every every month or every couple of weeks there was a shooting, right? We also had issues, to the, to the gentleman's point, uh, with Albanian uh, uh, Coney, Coney, Coney Island owners who were killing also African-American citizens. So here's the reality. The reality is that you have a lot of business owners in our city who happen to not be African-American, right? And they need to be trained and taught, especially younger that's, folks. That, that, that's especially, what, so, that, that's what on, I'm saying. Especially younger folks. Okay. Especially younger folks who work in these, work in these gas stations and service our people after 12 o'clock, because three out of the last four shootings were at 3 o'clock at night. Now, to his point, there has been one instance, right, there has been one instance where we did have an African-American gas station attendant, you know, the shooter of Brother Herder Scott on Telegraph in 96, and he was African-American. So I'm not, I'm not oblivious to that but, reality. So let's go I'm back saying, to the however, young, I'm saying, however, sure. I'm saying, however, there is a cultural dynamic and reality that we have to address for the, for the purposes of creating peace, justice, and safe spaces for African-American okay, so citizens. Okay, just, so let's just agree to disagree for a moment about whether or not there is a defined cultural strife between the two, just for a moment, and say, one group says there is, so we should get someone together. We should get people together in the room, there like we no did in 2018. In but, 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 but to recognize it would be the first step. We are aligned Arab politically. Arab Americans are African, and, and Arab Americans don't have a clash with the African American community. There is a consumer I didn't say merchant. That. There is a consumer merchant issue in here. So let's talk about the, the consumer merchant wait, issue. The merchant, be a the merchant in which have we to teach their attendants at the gas station and the grocery store how to deal with the clients, and also. So African-Americans have to stop saying that this is a cultural issue and dividing Arab-Americans and African-Americans right on the ethnic lines. So let's that just, is not let's a very good say, thing to do. Let's so, just say, on, to recognize there's an opportunity for improvement, sure. that's, not call, that's not creating a divide. That's, rec that's recognizing that there's an opportunity for improvement. Oh, I agree with and, you. And, and, agree and with the reality is over 98% of the shootings have been Middle East, 99% of the shootings have been Middle Eastern employees or attendants. 
Washington for a owners moment. We only have 40, of African Americans. We only have citizens. a quick minute left. If yeah. we if we recognize that there's some kind of a strife between uh, whether it be the merchant okay. or the, the customer, whatever sure. it is, there needs to be a, a safe space for people to get together and have a meeting. This happened in 2018. Yeah. We thought we were making progress then. Is there a way for the groups to get together again yeah. in 2023 I, I, and make I this happen? I can tell you We have to get together and talk yeah, about yeah. what that but looks like. Issue, but, right? but there is a yeah. role also for government. When, when the government does not act properly, like in Detroit, you know, the police is not coming on time to respond to a call of an incident at That's a gas true. station. That's the, true. Green, the green light is not really, there is no light there. It's not working. And, and, and I take, take tell you right now that the government has a role to play. I'll give you, I'll give you something what, what, right now for your, for, your, uh, for your show. Do you know that the gas stations in Detroit, they pay per hour, the city of Detroit, 18 to $20,000 an hour, every hour. That's how much they generate an income to the city of Detroit government. So they need to be protected. They need to get a, a, the police, the Department of the Police, they need to act very quickly when there is an incident so they can prevent something we, like this We from have happening. to take a break and come back on the other side of this to wrap things up in just a moment. Stay with us. We ate into our final thoughts time a little bit, and uh, Mr. Sabani, you did have a chance to speak. I wanted Mr. DeFerry to be able to respond to that. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the reality is uh, when you look at our beautiful brothers and sisters in predominantly Arab-American communities, you don't see this dynamic. And surely the same kind of trauma that exists in African-American communities exists in the Arab-American communities. However, uh, the brothers and sisters who happen to own those establishments treat the people differently. And all I'm saying is that because there's opportunity, that's not a bad thing. Which it, what it means is there's an opportunity to address a concern and to fix it. And that is what we're doing with our gas station training program. We provide good customer service training, a cultural sensitivity training, cultural competency, and de-escalation so that we can fix those issues. Politically, we are aligned. We marched in 2011 uh, with our Arab American brothers and sisters against Lowe's racist, discriminatory ads towards Arab American brothers and, and sisters. And you helped lead that march, I, as I remember. Me, Brother Charles Williams, right, and his organization, and Nan, we helped to organize the community against that. So we we're together all, politically, but in the, the but yep. in the community, Brother Root, there are some concerns that we have not effectively addressed. We started to on this show, and I want to thank you both for joining us today, because this conversation will continue in living rooms and, yes, gas stations across our area. Teferi, Brent, Osama Sablani, thank you for your time today. That does it for this edition of Let It Rip. The Let It Rip discussion continues online. Sound off on Facebook, Twitter, or Fox2Detroit.com.